my favorite movies is Back to the Future with Doc, Marty McFly, and the DeLorean. 88 miles per hour, 1.21 gigawatts, you'd only get those references. If you've seen the movie, it's my favorite movie. One thing fascinating about that movie though, and I guess all time travel movies, is Marty goes to the future, but then he's a different person when he comes back, just like anyone is, or any character is, when they've gone to the future in any of those movies. When they come back, they're a different person because they've seen the future, they've been to the future, and they now come back living that reality instead of the present. Or a better way to put it is they take the future and they rip it and pull it into the present. Now, Jesus's resurrection is actually a little bit like that. In the first century, the Jewish thought of the day was that the resurrection was going to happen. Most of them believed that except for the Sadducees, and they believed that it was all going to happen in the future and everyone would rise at the same time. But it was very crazy for these Jesus followers to say, no, 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 it's actually about Jesus resurrecting right now here in the present, and that's what they claimed and that's what Jesus did. He rose, not in the future, he rose in the present and kind of ushered in this new world, ushered in this new way to live, and actually said, the future has now come to the present and you need to reshape and reorient your life like that. Jesus was all about bringing that future into the present. And if you're a Jesus follower, that's your job too, where there's no decayed bodies, there's life and love, and there's that table that we'll talk about in the next session. And that is the future that we need to live now as an identity. doesn't just start this in the resurrection, he actually kind of steps into that in the baptism. And we know that's a famous scene in scripture, and Jesus didn't need to be baptized, by the way. It was just his way of identifying with us and kind of showing that model and saying, I am identifying with my people and what I'm about to go through and what I'm about to do. And in the baptism, this is before Jesus has done anything, right? This is basically the beginning of his ministry, they call it. Now, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't come through the resurrection, but he goes to John the Baptist and he's baptized and while he's coming under the water and coming back up, most of us know the scene. There's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It kind of thunders in that scene. And something really beautiful about that, if you think about it, is that was before Jesus had done one thing. He was getting his identity declared over him as the Messiah, as the son of God, before he had done anything. And again, that's Jesus setting that model for us. And so the biggest thing we have to realize is that in the Christian life, to have the joy we are looking for, identity has to come before activity in the same way that Jesus was pulling that future into the present, not only in his baptism, but also the resurrection. And that might sound weird, but we see that actually play out all the time in life. We see it in the Old Testament with King David being anointed first, meaning he's being called the king before he actually becomes king and he can step into that privilege and he can step into that identity. Or in the Western world or in America, it's the same way, a president after he's elected, but before he takes office, is actually called the president-elect, and he can start getting funding and living with those privileges even before he technically takes office. And I think that's a real beautiful way to think of the Christian life, that identity is first. God declares you're a son, you're a child, you're a daughter of mine, now live as if that's true. And Jesus modeled that in the baptism. crazy when you look at scripture, three things happen pretty fast in that narrative. Jesus is baptized, then there's the famous story of him going into the wilderness, and then there's him going into the ministry after that with him healing the sick, loving the poor, going to the cross, and the resurrection. So we have baptism, wilderness, and ministry. 
And I think that's the model that God sets out for us on how we should live our life. You have to know who you are before you can truly live, but there's something in the middle there, the wilderness, that I don't think we talk a lot about. If we were to just go from baptism or our declaration as a child of God straight into what we think we're called to be or called to do, sometimes that can be really noisy. Sometimes there can be a lot of distractions and that can wash out that voice or wash out that call of what God says or who he says we truly are. But I think a lot of times we curse the wilderness and say, oh, that's a bad thing or I must be doing something wrong when sometimes God actually uses the wilderness as a gift. It's a season of silence and beauty and almost a Sabbath type area and place where we rest and that baptism voice kind of washes into us. It kind of gets branded into us. Have you had a season like that? Or again, do you fight really hard to maybe fight against the wilderness? Maybe when that's the exact place God wants to take you. And when you have those seasons where it's branded down into you and you truly understand who you are in those wilderness seasons, then you're even more powerful to live as a child of God in what you're called to do. And so that wilderness season or the season that hopefully we find in our life is usually we need a season where that voice of God kind of thunders over us and we sit in it, we rest in it, we let it wash over us. I think of a few stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament that kind of fit into that piece. And the first one is actually uh, the prodigal son story. And a lot of us know the prodigal son story as a huge famous story where the son goes out in rebellion, but then finally returns. And the way the father reacts is what's beautiful and amazing. And that's the part of the story we love. But one little fact in there is that when the father runs, which we all love that, that the father runs to him, he doesn't have to wait till the son comes to him. He says, no, I'm going to get my son. I'm going to get my child. So he runs to him. But in first century Middle Eastern context, there was actually something called the Kazaza ceremony. And so what it would entail is the town elders basically would welcome a son or a child back from rebellion unless one of two things happened. And if one of those two things happened, they would not welcome them back and they would hold a formal ceremony that would say, no, you are not welcome here. You are cut off, which is what that word literally means. And the two things that would warrant that ceremony would be one is if a Jewish male married a Gentile woman, or two, if a Jewish male sold off or lost the family inheritance to a Gentile person, which is exactly why it says that he sold off his inheritance and then actually started to dine and live with the pigs, which shows that it was actually a Gentile person who got the inheritance. Now, if it was one of these two things, then if the son would come back and if they got word that this is what the son had done, then basically they would meet him at the city gates or meet him at the very end of the town and they would usher him in as a group to kind of the, the square or the center of that town and hold a formal ceremony where they would get a pot or something made out of clay and they would fill it with burnt corn or wheat or something of that nature and they would break it at his feet. And that was the ceremony where they would say, what just happened here? is our relationship. It has been broken and it cannot be put back together. So they would basically hold a formal ceremony to say, no, you're not welcome here. We're sorry, you've messed up too bad. And so it's actually a story about the father wanting to get to his son first. He knew if he didn't get to him first, then the elders would get there and they would hold that ceremony and maybe send the son back away where he would never be able to come back again. But no, the father as the authority and the patriarch of that village said, I wanna get to my son first and be a voice of love, of peace, of you are a son, you are welcome back into the family. And I think that story shows kind of the two voices that sometimes are battling for us. There's the voice of lies where it's, 
condemnation. You are not welcome here. You are not good enough. But the voice of the Father is the first voice over you, which by the way, it is the first voice over you in scripture, in the garden as an image bearer of God. You are loved. You are a child. He wants to know you. And so the question is, which voice are you listening to? See, a lot of times we let these drown out the voice of the Father when this is the true voice, this is the real voice, this is the first voice. So are you listening to that voice, the voice of the Father that's running to you, that wants to know you, wants to be with you, even in the times where you think you messed up so bad, you are not welcome anymore. part about that is we have to make sure we're also listening for it. Sometimes the reason it's drowned out is because we can't hear it. And that's where I think of the story of Elijah. Again, that's another famous story from the Old Testament that a lot of us maybe heard in Sunday school. But right after the huge battle with the prophets of Baal, this huge epic showdown, a chapter later, we have Elijah actually being scared and timid, and he's no longer seems like he's that huge warrior and power and bravery anymore. And he's not actually feeling like his life is going too well. And in that moment, he kind of crawls in a cave and God tries to get his attention. And there's this succession of verses where it says basically that an earthquake came and that a wind came and that fire came. But out of all those things, God's voice was not in them. And then the last one is it says a still small whisper came and God's voice was in that. And why I think that's beautiful and amazing is an earthquake and a fire, that gets everyone's attention. Everyone can hear that. That kind of throws them off kilter a little bit. But the beautiful part about a whisper is you actually have to be listening to it to hear it. You won't hear a whisper unless you're tuning your ear to it. And I think sometimes God will get our attention loud and he will do all these things. But a lot of times in the daily rhythms of life, he's whispering to us. That voice of love, that voice of being a child is being whispered to us, or at least it sounds like a whisper with all the other distractions of life. And so we have to be listening to it. And so that's the challenge on this session is, are you living as a child of God? Are you living in that identity? And the biggest question we have to ask is, what voice are you listening to? Because there's only one voice of truth and that is Jesus. 